Welcome to the Her Life Her Way podcast hosted by me, Maddie. Here at the Her Life Her Way podcast, we facilitate honest and vulnerable conversations with women from across the globe that shine a light on how we can craft a life that feels meaningful and joyful to us all. Through these conversations, you can expect to feel empowered in your journey to live, relate, and work in a way that feels nourishing for your mind, your body, and your soul. We will never shame you into thinking you aren't enough or that you are not doing enough. Alternatively, our conversations highlight the patriarchal system working against all women and will provide you with the tools, wisdom, and support you need to live a fulfilling life in spite of a system that is designed to strip women of their autonomy, joy, and wholeness. This is your life. You get to live it your way. So welcome again to the Her Life, Her Way podcast. I am so grateful that you are here, and let's tune in to the episode. All right, so today we have one of my very best friends on the podcast, and I'm very, very excited. (laughs) Um, Today we have Amber Gordon on the show. Amber Gordon is the host of the Sacred Leadership Podcast, which launched last month. Super excited. If you haven't listened already, you should definitely check it out. She is a clinically trained therapist and identity and alignment coach who is passionate about supporting others to step into their unique calling and stand in aligned leadership. So, Amber, welcome to the Her Life, Her Way podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, Maddie, (laughs) I am so excited. This feels really good because I was able to have you on my podcast and we took a little bit of a, you know, left turn, if you will, a little leadership adjacent conversation talking about some real life things that come up and being able to be here on your podcast to have that like returned in a way um, feels really, really good. And I'm really excited to be here. Yay. I'm so excited for everyone to get to know more about you and your story and everything that you have to share. Because as I tell you all the time, you're one of the most wise human beings. (laughs) No. So I'm excited for everyone listening to tap into that. So with that being said, Can you share a little bit about your story, your background, and where you are at in the world today, how you show up in the world today as a leader? Yeah. um, So this is actually something I've been reflecting on a lot recently as I've really been taking full ownership of my soul mission and my soul purpose to support other leaders. And I think a lot about how did I actually get here in in this space. I mean, it's not like I, you know, woke up one day and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I'm going to like be the person who leads the charge in ethical and conscious leadership in the, you know, healer and like conscious entrepreneur space. Like that came like much, much, much later. And it really started out being one of those things where I didn't really know where I was going in the beginning. All I knew is that I wanted to help people. I tell people a lot that um, I was actually born with a congenital birth defect. Um, a lot of people don't even realize it because it's not something that you would notice um, unless I told you about it. My entire left arm is pretty much just here for decoration. We love her. She does a really, really good job <laughs> um, just being pretty. But in terms of being functional, I'm pretty much one-handed. Um, a lot of people don't know that about me. And that's relevant to my story because when I was growing up, I had to go through a lot of of orthopedic surgeries. And as a result of those orthopedic surgeries, I had to go to a lot of hand therapy. Anyone who's ever been in hand therapy, the 
way that hand therapy is delivered is you're actually sitting across the table from someone and they're, they're working on your hand. Um, and so I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like I'm meant to be a hand therapist. And my summer before I transferred from community college into my four-year school, the place that I had been going to for hand therapy was like, you know, do you want to do like kind of like an informal internship just to like really be sure that you want to go to occupational therapy school? Cause you know, it's kind of a commitment. I'm like, sure. Sounds so much fun. Would love that. <laughs> and so I would go and just kind of hang out and like learn from them and dip my toes in the water. And at the end of the summer, these two amazing women said to me, what do you like the most about hand therapy, about being an occupational therapist? And I was like, oh, talking to the people. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we noticed that. <laughs> Maybe you should go to school for that. And I was like, go to school for talking to people? And they were like, yeah, like, you know, psychology, therapy. Maybe you should be a therapist. And um, I had actually had a lot of interactions with therapists in my younger years because I went through a very dark time um, that I now later know was because I had undiagnosed tick-borne illness that was affecting my mental health at the time. Um, but at my lowest, like there was depression, there was anxiety, there was suicidal ideation. Like it was really very, very bad for me and probably age like 13 to 17. And I didn't have great experiences with therapists. And I was very turned off uh, by therapy in general. And I really didn't want to go to school for that. But I was like, what do I have to lose? I'll just like go see about the whole psychology thing. Worst case scenario, I already have my prereqs for OT school. Then I'll just kind of transfer it. So long story short, I went to school uh, for psychology. Absolutely fell in love with it. Like, obviously. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, really fell in love with it and then ended up going on to get my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Um, it was a bit of a sorted path, though. Um, it wasn't your straight like, okay, go to school, get a, get a degree, get a job. Uh, there was a fun little thing in there called chronic Lyme disease. And the um, by the time my mom actually figured out that I had chronic Lyme disease because I had been misdiagnosed by, I can't even tell you, like probably 20 plus specialists at that point. Wow. Um, I was really, really sick. I was really sick. I couldn't keep any food in me. My hair was falling out. I was exhausted, um, just could not function. And I was fighting to try to get through my last three weeks of graduate school. That's all I had left was three weeks of graduate school. I had uh, like a 3.8 GPA. I had all these glowing um, evaluations from all of my professors, all of my instructors. I had done all of the internship requirements, but I just couldn't finish because I was so, so sick. And I ended up asking for a retroactive medical leave, which I was not granted. And I was kicked out of my program three weeks shy of graduation. Yeah. And this actually turned into a whole lawsuit um, that I'm just now speaking about for the first time in over 10 years. Um, it was something I was really afraid to speak about because I still carried some type of guilt and shame that like I could have done something differently. I could have done something wrong. And now looking back on it, I realized that the people in leadership at that time did not act as leaders. The people mm -hmm. who were in charge of that program, the people who were supposed to be ethical practitioners, they were therapists themselves, did not show me compassion and understanding. Um, 
we did a week-long trial. There was internal emails read um, at that trial that you would hope you would never have somebody as a therapist like sending about a student, let alone a young student who was going through a really trying medical time. Um, So it was one of those things where I actually ended up going back to school. I went to a different program, um, graduated with flying colors. It was amazing. So I kind of did graduate school twice. (laughs) I have the student loans to prove it. Um, but at that time I, I finished my degree just kind of like as a, wait, can we curse on this podcast? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I finished my degree just kind of as like a fuck you. Um, like one of the things that was brought out in that trial was that like, I, they couldn't let me continue cause I was like unsafe or unfit to be a therapist. Um, and I was like, no, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And so I would literally, it was fully online. I would do my degree like in, doctor's appointments. Like I would be in the waiting room, like on my tablet, on my computer. There's actually pictures of me waiting to go back into an OR for surgeries, like on my computer, like doing assignments for my master's degree. Um, So it was a big deal when I finally did uh, graduate. And it was very interesting because right where that point in my life happened, I just, all, all I wanted to do was work just as a regular old traditional therapist. That felt like such a win for me because when I was going through treatment for chronic Lyme disease, I couldn't work. I couldn't shower. There was times where I couldn't even like send a text message. Um, I was really, really, really sick for basically age 26 through 29, um, was pretty much bedridden. And when I finally got better, I was just like, I'm just, I just want to be the best freaking therapist that I can be. Cool. Awesome. Fine. And then, uh, you know, this fun thing that changed all of our lives happened called quarantine. (laughs) And I went from being at like what I thought was the height of my career, where I was seeing clients at a private practice in um, those people who are familiar with Pennsylvania, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So I had like really great clientele, practice in downtown Doylestown. I was like, I was doing the thing. And then I lost all of my clients overnight because this was before like... We fig- we forget that in the past three years, we've become so comfortable with virtual, but it wasn't like that then. Um, yeah. So people are like, cool, like I'll see you in three weeks or I'll see you in four weeks or like, I don't want to talk to you over Zoom. Um, so I lost all my clients. And that was where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really have no idea. And I was introduced to the world of online coaching. And that's kind of where I'll take a little bit of pause in our like backstory to zoom out a little bit because that next chapter is kind of, there's a lot of micro moments that led me to where I am today. But that's like the long and short of like how I kind of became a therapist and then how we started to get more into this whole online social media coaching space that's now pretty much my entire career. Yeah, I you know what's interesting? I never knew that backstory of why you went to go pursue a degree in psychology or why you went to go become a therapist. I never knew that it was as a result of working with in an OT office as an intern and talking to um the employees there. That's so interesting. <laughs> but I wanna bring it to the point in your story where you were not granted the medical leave that you deserved. You know, you weren't um given compassion in that moment. And you mentioned that 
you saw the people in power, the leaders in that space, not act in an ethical way or not act in the way that you had hoped. Um, I would love for you to share, if you feel comfortable, what you witnessed and what you wish would have happened through those leaders instead. What would you have wished those leaders actually did? Obviously, grant you the medical mm-hmm. leave, but there was some stuff going on behind the scenes that was really unethical, it sounds like. Um maltreatment towards their students. What would you have wished they would have shown up as as leaders in that space? This is actually a really powerful question. And I actually really love doing these interviews because I'm just in real time connecting some really important dots here between the work that I do now and why I do it (laughs) and how it relates to that particular experience. It was, um, there was a lot of layers there and one of the pieces that I am actually very proud to be able to speak on this because I opted out of signing an NDA. Um, Before we went to trial, I was actually given the option of settlement um, and that settlement would have come with signing an NDA. So I never would have spoken. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I chose to pursue the trial um, is because I'm like, if they didn't do anything wrong, they wouldn't be asking me to sign an NDA. and it was pretty, it was rough. It was horrible. We we lost um, for basically, you know, a lot of reasons that have to do with our justice system not really being just. Um, mm-hmm. And in that space, I looked back and there were so many pieces that were brought to light because the director of that program had been my mom's therapist. And now that I know so much more about ethics and boundaries um, and code of ethics and different things like that, that was essentially a dual relationship. Like she was my mom's therapist before she recruited me to come to this program. Um, And so right there, that's a conflict of interest because somebody's paying you money to join your program. Like that is like the more students you have in your program, the more money you get, um, And to the best of my recollection, she had either recently become director or hadn't been director of the program for all that long. And so it looked good to get, you know, recruitments to get students into the program. And, you know, at the time, I think I thought that she was like doing me a favor. I'm like, oh my gosh, here's this like professional therapist who's inviting me to her office and like recruiting me for this program because she believes in me because I'm so special. And, you know, maybe there was an element of that, but like, ultimately I should have been passed off to someone else or that really shouldn't have been part of the conversation that she was having with my mom, um, to like figure out like where I should go to graduate school. Um, and again, like at the time I thought somebody was doing me a a huge favor and looking back on it, I realized that there was a lot of ethical boundaries that were being crossed. And the way that the story was told to me, and this is where, you know, I have to, take that step back and know that this was like third party representation because I wasn't part of these conversations, but I was in class with that person. And my mom was actually the one who ultimately decided to dissolve the therapeutic relationship because she didn't feel good about me being in class and like having, you know, when you go to school for therapy, you share a lot of your life. Like it's not just like writing papers and learning about stuff. Like you're using yourself as your, your first case study. Um, Yeah. So I I was doing that. And then also this person's like 
evaluating me and grading me and then seeing my mom, you know, weekly for, for therapy, it just was a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. And so, you know, the way that it was told to me was that my mom was the one that decided to dissolve the therapeutic relationship and it wasn't received well. Um, again, whether that is true or not, like I cannot say that I, because I wasn't there, but it did come out later, um, in the, uh, in the, during the trial that, that, that overlap was part of the decision to not grant me the medical leave because there was preconceived notions about who I was as a person and who I was as an individual that that director had gotten from being my mom's therapist. Um, so this, mm -hmm. there's like so many layers here of, of like things not being ethical. And this is again, where I, the thing that I ultimately wished would have happened is the thing that I tell people they should always look for in leaders. And if they are a leader that they should ultimately do, be doing, and that is inner work because it was very obvious that there was, you know, people were getting defensive, people were getting personal, people were triggered, people were like taking things and being very, um, almost like passive aggressive about that. And then having to defend this stance that they had taken because they knew that they had made that decision from an unethical place. Um, and then at that point it was like the lie was too big, you know, so to speak. Um, and I feel like if that person, that director and, you know, the people around that director had really been able to take a step back and take self inventory and say, you know what? Yeah, I think that um, maybe we messed up a little bit here. Maybe we can take some accountability. Maybe there's you know somewhere that we can kind of find a compromise or how can I allow myself to see this person with clear eyes and not be affected by the history or the other things that I know or like take my personal bias out of it. A lot of us doing our own inner work is being able to interact with other humans from a truly neutral space. And it was very obvious to me that that was not happening, did not happen. And I suffered as a result of these people not being able to have that neutral space, not taking things from a place of bias. Um, and so it was a big learning experience because I really stopped trusting the people in my profession. Um, and, and that hurt, like that hurt that these people that stood against me in court were the same people that I had been looking up to, the same people that I wanted to be like, the same people I considered to be my mentors. And then I saw them be ugly and mean and lie. <laughs> and, you know, and I will say that with like a hand over my heart and, you know, I know that they know what they did. And it's even like, like in this conversation, I feel a little bit shaky, like speaking on this because there's still an element of fear um, that somebody's going to come for me, come after me. They're going to be like, I heard on, you know, the Her Life, Her Story podcast, like you <laughs> calling, calling things out. But I, I know now in the core of my being, um, what happened there. And they're the people that have to look at themselves in the mirror and know that that's something that they are going to have to clear with their own soul, with their own karma. Um, and I'm grateful that it planted the seeds for me caring so much about, doing that inner work so that people can be truly conscious and ethical leaders because leader is not a title. It is not a position. It is who you are. And so if you're going to take ownership of being a leader, you need to show up that way a hundred percent all of the time in all spaces. Yeah. I'd love for you to unpack that term leader a little bit 
for us. What does it mean to you and how do you describe leadership to the people that you work with? Mm. I tell people a lot that there is leadership as a role and leadership (laughs) as like an embodied way of life. And I'm not interested in working with people who have leadership as a role. Anybody can be like, yes, I'm in a position of leadership. Okay, great. That does not make you a leader. You can be in a position of leadership. You can have the role of a leader, but that does not make you a leader. And I have seen this time and time again where either people are given the title of leader or they self-appoint themselves in a position of leadership, but they're not acting like a leader. And when I work with my clients, I really break leadership down into three main points. To me, a leader, first and foremost, is somebody who's willing to hold themselves accountable for the people that they serve. You have to be willing to be held accountable and take ownership of your actions. It doesn't matter if, you know, you, Maddie, were like, you know what, Amber, it really upset me yesterday when you wore that pink shirt. It it was very upsetting to me. And I would really appreciate it if you didn't wear pink shirts ever again. I don't then have to be like, okay, Maddie, I'll never wear a pink shirt ever again. I'm so sorry. That's not leadership. Leadership is being like, okay, thank you so much for telling me about, you know, me wearing this pink shirt and that like really upsetting you can can I learn a little bit more about that? Or like, what about the pink shirt is upsetting to you? And like, oh, well, thank you for asking, creating that, you know, conversation, that psychological safety that somebody can feel like they can be held by you and you can hold their truest expression and you're not taking it personally. You're not getting defensive. You're not being triggered. And then ultimately at the end of that, maybe you do decide, you know, this is, it's not a big deal to me whether I wear a pink shirt or not, but it, you know, Maddie really cares. And I'm just not going to wear pink shirts anymore because it'll help Maddie show up better if I'm not wearing pink shirts. Or it could be like me showing up in leadership is actually wearing that shirt and then helping you to be able to work through whatever's coming up for you when I wear that pink shirt. Right. But I wouldn't be able to know unless I was willing to be held accountable by you, by the people that I'm standing in leadership of. The second piece is being willing to go first the like very literal definition of leadership, (laughs) being willing to go first, being willing to blaze that trail so that other people can have an easier time, being willing to scale that mountain so that you can reach your hand down and help somebody up to see the beautiful view from way up there. Um, And again, that's not that we're crouching down and allowing somebody to stand on our back so that they can then scale the mountain. We're getting up there first and then we are reaching down to help pull people up to where we are. So you're going first. And then that leads into the third piece of leadership where you are truly in leadership to help other people be the best versions of themselves. You are lifting people up. You are supporting them. You are coming from a strengths-based approach. You are not motivating people with fear or, you know, negative comments or making fun of people. No, like that that's not leader. I, I see so many people, especially, you know, in corporate America, it's rampant in that culture where there's people in positions of leadership who are using lack of psychological safety or fear or anxiety to motivate the people that are working for them or working with them. And that is not true leadership. You are not taking that self-inventory. And I guess, you know, if I could just add a, a bonus piece there based on what we're talking about, a leader is somebody who is constantly willing to take that self-inventory, to be mm-hmm. doing the inner work. It is never done. You're constantly looking like, okay, like, all right, that person, 
ooh, brought something up in me. What's what's going on there? And then you're going to your mentor, your coach, your therapist, your, you know, the people that you lean on to be able to get support so that you can constantly be doing that self-inventory, constantly be doing that inner work so that you can truly hold that neutral space for the people that you're working with. Uh, I love all of that and how you broke that down. Something that really stood out to me was the term psychological safety because I do think that's such an important piece of impactful and effective leadership. But a question that came up for me, and you can use your own experience to share a bit more on this if you'd like, but I, when we're creating psychological safety for people that we're in leadership with, sometimes – that can turn into like fawning behavior. <laughs> mm. um, and so I want to open up that can of worms and talk about where is the line? Like how can we make people feel psychologically safe when we are in a position of leadership with other individuals in our community, but not encourage others to rely solely upon us and like have a codependent relationship or not like breach that boundary that needs to be there in a lot of leadership uh, leadership positions. Can you talk about that a little bit more? So the first thing that I will say is that <laughs> psychological safety is not trauma bonding. Okay. <laughs> like that is, Drop mic. <laughs> right, like that. That's it. We're done with this podcast. Um, and, and that is actually a beautiful thing to be able to highlight because I have worked with so many people who they actually like really love, you know, their bosses. They really love who they work for. They really love the people that are leaders in their lives. And these people in these positions of leadership are doing their absolute best to be good leaders, but they don't know how to lead from a place where there is that hierarchy, right? Like there is absolutely a hierarchy. When somebody is standing in a position of leadership, they need to not be on the same plateau, if you will, as the people that they are serving. That delineation is important. And that's very different. Like we're not, it's not a tyrant. It's not a dictatorship. It's not anything like that. It's not that you are separate from these people, but you are existing on a different plane. This means that the, what is true for them is not necessarily true for you and vice versa. Yep. And I have worked a lot with people who are so, so well-intended and have the absolute worst boundaries on the face of the planet. Like all the <laughs> diffuse boundaries, they are co- so freaking codependent with the people that they work with, that they, you know, that work for them. It is not healthy. And so that's where, again, when we talk about psychological safety, it is the people who are in that position of receiving from the leader or working for the leader Um, are feeling safe to be able to come address things. They feel like they can share whatever is on their mind, on their heart, whatever is coming up for them in their lived experience without fear of punishment, without Mm. fear of consequence, without any fear of negative repercussions for coming and sharing openly and honestly. That's psychological safety, right? And that is a one-way street. When you're talking about leadership, it is a one-way street. You as a leader don't get to go to the people that you are standing in leadership for to be like, oh my gosh. So like, I can't actually do my job as a leader today because I had a really bad weekend and my husband and I are fighting and we, you know, only had sex like twice this weekend and we usually have sex like five times. And so it's just like, (laughs) I don't know, I'm feeling so, and like, then like you're you know, employees, the people who are receiving from you are then holding space for you. They are, they are there in support of you. And mm-hmm. that's, that's very conflicting. And so then you're like, 
giving them, you know, tasks or you're trying to lead them, but they energetically and emotionally feel like they're the ones taking care of you. See how that's really messy? Um, And then that's where people get into these weird situations where like they find themselves being like, oh my God, I know that my boss like had a bad weekend. So I'm, I'm not going to tell them that we actually are over budget on this thing. And I'm going to wait to tell them because like, maybe I'm going to try to figure it out myself. No, no, no. Like you as a leader need to handle your own shit so that you can show up for other people. The people who are showing up for you are not obligated to do anything about your shit or help you handle it, or help you hold it, or do anything of of that sort. You can yeah. be honest with people. I think that that's important in terms of being a human being, right? Like it's okay to be like, "Hey guys, um, I'm actually going to take a half day today, feeling a little bit energetically drained. If anybody needs anything, please see so and so anytime after 2 p.m." Yep, that's fine. That's wonderful. That's great. Be honest, but you don't have to then like sit and trauma dump on them so that they feel responsible for you and your emotional state. That's not okay. I love that differentiation that you just pointed out because as you were talking, I was like, I don't want people to misconstrue what you're saying as like, I can't show up authentically because there's a difference between being honest and oversharing and making other people feel responsible, right? Like, so as a personal example, um, a lot of people that have listened to this podcast know that I lost my younger brother in 2020, right? And so During that time, I was still running my own business and I had to figure out how to be a leader and also be a grieving leader, right? And so what I have found over time is that it is okay for me to show up and say, hey guys, today's my brother's birthday. I'm feeling a little bit off because of a lot of the emotions swirling around this date. I am going to take this day off if you need me. This is how you can reach me. That is the same exact example of stating what you need, stating like your honest expression of what's going on in that moment, but not like relying upon other people to make you better, to fix you, to like console you in that moment, you know, because I do think that, and I want to hear your perspective on this too, like in being honest as a leader about how we're showing up to the, only to the extent in which like you're saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing to remedy it myself, allows people to state how they feel and what they need. We're leading by example. because So that's why I think that's important. Um, but it isn't me saying, oh my God, my brother's birthday is today. I need all of you to do X, Y, Z. I'm just so distraught, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Um, And then leaning upon my team to like fix the hole in me that I need to fill in myself. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like for the leaders that you serve? Like how are they showing up honestly and authentically um, that empowers the people that are in their community to show up honestly and authentically as well? Like what are some of the qualities of good leadership that you're seeing? Yeah. I actually um, asked this, uh, I think it was like maybe last week or the week before. Um, I just like put a a quick little poll like up on my Instagram (laughs) stories. And I was just like, what, what are the qualities that you look for in yourself as a leader? And then what are the qualities that you look for in other people? And I got a lot of really beautiful answers and, you know, people offered things like authenticity, vulnerability, um, mentorship, um, communication, um, you know, emotional intelligence. There was all these things. And, um, in, in my private Facebook community, 
which you can join. It's free if you want to. I'll drop the link for <laughs> Patty to share. Um, I shared my answer and my answer was accountability. Accountability is like the number one thing that I feel like really helps to increase that psychological safety, but also have it happen in a way that creates that culture of emotional intelligence. And I think it is the part of this where we really get to show up as human beings. We really get to own the part of us that is a human being and know that we're not going to be perfect. Are the people that we're serving are not going to be perfect. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to be off. It's okay to be grieving. It's okay to have different things going on that is completely fine. And also while you're having that conversation, have it be a conversation. Ask for feedback. Ask for a dialogue. Ask for conversation. Because a lot of people in leadership, they're, they are up there and it's not leadership, it's a dictatorship. You cannot question them. You cannot call them out. You cannot offer feedback. They don't really mm-hmm. care how you feel about what they're thinking, saying, doing. It doesn't matter. But to me, if you're going to be a truly embodied ethical leader, that is like the number one thing you should care about. And that's not in the sense that we're getting wrapped up in like how other people see us or feel about us or care about us. It's not from that space of like, looking for approval. It's yeah. from that space of like checks and balances, right? It's from that space of knowing like, I can only serve you as well as you're willing to give me the information and the intelligence to be able to know how to serve you. Cause I could think I'm doing like a freaking fantastic job. And here you're like, you know, Amber, like every time I do a good job, you like give me a high five and I hate high fives. I really do. (laughs) I would much rather you write me like a little like your awesome sticky note and like leave it on my desk. Awesome. Here I am. I'm thinking I'm high fiving you. Like, you know, I'm letting you know that you're doing a good job. And here, like you actually receive feedback best in written form. The high five means nothing to you. But I don't know that unless I'm open to receiving that feedback from you. And I am receiving it from a space of like, cool, thank you for letting me know, Maddie, instead of, oh, well, (laughs) if you don't like your high high fives, then like you can just fuck off then. Like that's how I show people that I appreciate them. And if that's not the way that you like to be appreciated, then like I guess you don't get to get appreciated then. Like, no, (laughs) like that's that's not the vibe. It's being able to be flexible and being able to receive your feedback in a neutral space. I'm not taking that personally. I'm not getting defensive. I'm taking that as beautiful, delicious, amazing information so that I can be a more effective leader for you. Yeah, it almost... And now a brief break to hear from one of our sponsors. Her Life, Her Way podcast is sponsored by Her, a women-owned and operated virtual assistant and online business management agency that provides female-identifying founders and leaders from around the globe with creative and technical support. With over 4,500 log client hours and over 130 clients served in just three years, our highly skilled and trained team has been able to provide high quality, reliable, and strategic support that has helped our clients to create sustainable growth in their businesses while also taking some much needed time off. As shown by her 90% client retention rate, her customers love, trust, and are empowered in their work with our beloved team members. Our mission at Her is to empower and enable more female founders to do more of what they love with the people they love while leaving a lasting impact on the communities that matter most to them. 
Some of the services our virtual assistants provide include email marketing, inbox and calendar management, course design and management, podcast management, blog writing, Instagram management, and website management. While our highly skilled online business managers support our clients with systems and processes management, launch strategy and implementation, client experience management, project management, and team management. If any of these services sound like they would be helpful to you and your business, we would love to connect with you to learn more about you and your own specific needs. Feel free to go to our show notes to learn more about her and the work that we do as an agency. We would absolutely love to support you and the amazing work that you are doing within your community. So once again, go to the link in the show notes to learn more about our agency and connect directly with me, Maddie, the founder of Her, to book your own discovery call to talk about next steps and getting you the support that you need and you deserve. So now back to the show. It reminds me of the love languages in that way of like every part, which they're controversial in and of themselves. So we won't go down that road. They are, but they are helpful. (laughs) They are helpful. I will say that as a therapist, I will say that as a coach. And I actually include, I have a freebie and like in my leadership guide freebie, I actually task people with figuring out their love language as it relates to- how they give and receive in a leadership scenario. So I, I think it, it can be helpful as a tool, right? It's take take what fits, leave the rest. Yeah. So you saw that same crossover then. It's like the way that we like to give and receive love oftentimes, I think, or at least like speaking from personal experience, crosses over into how I like to give and receive feedback, <laughs> give and receive appreciation. There's a lot of crossover there. So that will definitely link your freebie. But for anyone listening, Going and figuring out your love language could be really helpful as a leader, but also as a worker working underneath of a leader, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, to understand how you can communicate with the person leading you, how you best receive feedback. And as a leader, to understand how people on your team really would prefer to receive feedback and appreciation. Um, Kind of going off of that last question, those are some of the positive qualities of a leader. I'd like to take a step back and talk about some of the red flags in leadership, specifically for people working alongside a leader, because I think what can happen a lot of times is that we can be working with someone, working for someone, and start to question their leadership abilities and then start to question ourselves. Mm. Is it just me? Am I being sensitive? Like all these questions that pop up for a lot of people, especially women, because a lot of us have been trained to doubt ourselves. Um, So can you provide us with some red flags that are totally valid for us to look for in the people that we are working for that might signal to us that we need to have some sort of communication loop opened with uh, the person that's leading us? Mm. This is actually something that I've realized has so much overlap in terms of my training as a relational therapist, because a lot of these red flags, as you put it, are the same exact red flags that we're going to pay attention to if we're in an abusive relationship. Interesting. Um, It's true. And the number one thing is even what you highlighted about questioning yourself to that level that right there is a huge red flag. Because if you're in a good leadership scenario, that person is doing everything that they can to help you feel safe, seen, and heard. And that means that everything that you're thinking, feeling, um, you know, experiencing is valid. 
and it doesn't matter if it's true, if it's accurate, if that lines up with what their intention was, you know, intention versus impact, like is a whole separate conversation, but it's you being able to not exist in that space of questioning. And if you do find yourself questioning certain things, feeling safe enough to go to the person that you're working alongside, the person that is in the position of leadership to be like, hey, this is coming up for me and it's something I really need to process with you. Do you have space to do that right now? No. Okay. Like, can we put some time on the calendar in the next like week or two? I'd really just kind of like to sit down and have a conversation about what's coming up for me, how we can clear it so that I can more effectively, you know, work in synergy with you. Awesome. Perfect. And any other, you know, situation that comes up kind of falls under that umbrella, right? Because it doesn't really matter what it is. If you're, if it's causing you to question yourself, causing you to feel like, okay, am I the one, if am I, am I the, is it me? Am I the problem? (laughs) Am am I the drama? Like, Like, and that should not even be coming up for you because you're not going to be able to be effective in whatever your position is in relationship to that person that's your, you know, leader. If you are busy giving so much energy away to questioning yourself, that should not even come up. The other things that I will say are important to look for are just, again, how much responsibility do you feel towards that person's psychological, you know, well-being or their emotional state? That's another Mm. big one. You should not be worrying about the emotional state of the person that you are there to exist in, you know, relationship to and they're the person in leadership. Um, And then the, the third one I would say is really where the way that they're interacting with you is not lining up with how they're interacting with other people. And I see this a lot with people who are in online spaces because they will have an outward persona, if you will, towards their audience, their community, their followers, and then they're treating their teams like absolute trash. Yeah. Right? And they're like, I don't know, but like everybody else loves them, so it must be me. Mm. You know, everyone, you know, and then like you talk to people and they're like, oh my God, you must be so lucky to work for so-and-so. And it's like, actually, like I literally haven't slept in five days because I'm so worried that we're going to like, I'm not going to do something exactly correct and I'm going to lose my job or whatever. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's, that incongruence is something to also just be mindful of and pay attention to. And so if we notice these things and we open up a conversation with the person in power, the person in leadership, and there is no accountability, they don't receive the information well or at all, what is the next best thing for do, do we, to do? Do we set boundaries? Do we leave? Is it dependent upon the circumstance? Like what have you seen in your experience and your work to be that next step should the relationship continue to remain unhealthy? Mm-hmm. This is really going to depend on that individual person because, and when I say person, not the person in leadership, we're talking about, you know, the, the other party here, because how much bandwidth you have to safely exist in that type of a relationship dynamic, that is going to be the factor that you're really going to need to pay attention to. Um, I, you know, I have to pay attention to that a lot for myself because I realized that like I grew up and I cultivated a lot of um, people pleasing tendencies. I am the person who always like kept the peace in my family. So I'm very, very 
emotionally aware of other people. I'm very good at um, like regulating other people's emotions. Um, it's obviously no surprise that I became a therapist. <laughs> like looking back on it, I was like, my whole life has been preparing me for just this moment. Um, <laughs> it's it's true. And so like I recognize that I do have a large bandwidth for it, but it's not without a cost. And mm, this is the thing that we yeah. have to pay attention to. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. This is what I tell people all the time. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can put up with it, just because you can handle working for a completely narcissistic boss because you had you know, a narcissistic parent or what have you, that does not mean you should. You have to look at the toll. If you're able to be like, yeah, my boss is a narcissist. It doesn't affect me at all. I just show up. I do my job. I sleep great at night. Like I get a good paycheck. Like, you know, they're over in the corner blowing up and I don't care. Have at it. <laughs> have at it. You stay in that job as long as you feel like, you know, it's worth the paycheck, right? But if you, on the other hand, are extremely emotionally sensitive to that, you're losing sleep over it, you're waking up with anxiety every day because your boss is a narcissist and you have never dealt with this before in your life and you can't handle it, you don't have the emotional regulation skills to even begin to handle it, that's something that I'm like, you've got to leave that position like yesterday. Yeah. And then of course there's the space in between where you're going to have to have that conversation with yourself to really decide like, okay, can I wait this out and see if things change? Can I provide them with feedback and, and also maintain my sense of inner peace and separate myself energetically from this person while I wait to see if things change? How long can I give that? Um, and that's something that you're going to have to have that internal dialogue with yourself probably every day, multiple times a day, if you are in that type of a position. And so on the flip side of that same coin then, what if I'm the leader in that situation and Mm. someone comes to me with this conversation of essentially to boil it all down, I'm not doing a good job in this specific facet, right? Of like, this this is like not so good feedback about – I'm performing poorly for my team. Um, So how do I sit in that conversation? How can I as the leader be receptive to the feedback and – work to improve the way I'm showing up as a leader for my team when I receive constructive criticism? Mm, mm. Such a good question. Because <laughs> um, I imagine that there's a lot of people listening to this who are in lead, like positions of leadership and who are also our leaders, right? We've made that um, you know differentiation between the two. And this is where I tell people like, have your own mentors, have your own therapist, have your own coach. Make sure that they too are ethical leaders, right? Because we all know there's unethical <laughs> therapists out there. There sure as hell are unethical coaches out there. Just because like you have a mentor doesn't mean that they're steering you down a path that is going to like lead to your highest self. Um, and that's like, I was going to say, that's like a whole conversation for another day is being able to really find those people and figure out like if you are seeing somebody who's really in alignment with your highest good. But it, ultimately that's where like we need perspective, And when somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, you know, like you keep wearing the pink shirt and I told you not to. And it's, it's really upsetting me. And you're a really sucky leader because you keep wearing this pink shirt. And, you know, I, I'm about to quit because this is something I can't, you know, work with anymore. And you're like, oh my gosh, like what? Like, I didn't even realize. I thought that this was like coral. I didn't know all like, you know, shades of pink (laughs) were upsetting to this person. 
Um, and then you're like, what, what am I missing here? So that's when we kind of go into that like spiral and you need that other person. You need that mentor, that coach, you know, that therapist, that other person, or, you know, maybe it's like a business bestie who is, you know, somebody that you can count on to know you, to give you really good advice. Um, you know, maybe you have like a Maddie in your life who you can call and be like, is it me? <laughs> like, is it me? like, what's going on? Um, and they will lovingly tell you, yes, it actually is you. And you are indeed colorblind and you, all you've been doing is wearing pink. So sorry to tell you this. Um, you know, it's like, okay, so I need to have somebody else pick out my outfits every morning. Got it. Cool. Thanks so much for that. And it really is being open to going to somebody that's not that person that brought the thing to you to be like, hey, this is coming up with, you know, my employee, my staff, my, you know, community, right? Like, because not all of us are in those very delineated transactional types of leadership roles anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody in my community told me like I was, you know, being sexist or racist. I had no idea. Somebody in my community said that I was, you know, alienating a certain section of people. I didn't know that I was doing that. I, this is a blind spot for me. Can can you help me process through this and work through it so that I can take about accountability, figure out what of this is mine, what of this is not mine, and what I can do moving forward to be able to integrate and process this. Because chances are you are feeling hella triggered because that person told you that like you're not doing a good job. None of us like to be like have the gold stars taken away from us. Doesn't matter yeah. if you're people pleaser perfectionist or if you're like easy breezy, like laid back, you know, Susie. Like it doesn't matter. Nobody likes to be told like, hey, you suck. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's probably not going to be delivered that way, but it's still, it's very triggering. We have a tendency to get dysregulated and defensive. So being able to have that other anchor person or anchor people, right? Maybe it's a community that you can go in and lean on um, to help you process through that, I think is the number one thing that leaders can do. Make sure that they are armed with multiple people they can go to, to help them do processing work, to help them do that inner work, to help them be able to get back to that neutral space so that they can make decisions and like plans of action from a place that is ethical and aligned. That is so, so, so important. Um, and so kind of off of that too, that it that all would be done after and before the circumstance, the feedback circumstance. You mentioned that when we receive this feedback, oftentimes the response will be for us to feel defensive or feel triggered. What can we do in that moment for our nervous systems <laughs> to be able to be present in that conversation? in a way that doesn't place blame upon the person that is giving us the feedback. Because when we feel triggered, when we feel defensive, that ultimately when we're not emotionally regulated can happen. So what are some like quick things that we can do in those conversations, in those difficult moments to bring us back down to somewhat of an equilibrium to at least receive the feedback and then be able to go to our support person uh, shortly thereafter? Mm. So this is definitely like a twofold response because yes, there's definitely things that we can do in that moment. And I will highlight some of those, but in the most ideal scenario, you have been doing this work before that person comes to you. You have been learning about nervous system regulation. You have been learning about, you know, emotional intelligence. You've been learning about psychological safety. You've been doing your shadow work. You've been processing through your childhood trauma. You have already done a lot of your own inner work to basically be at, you know, maybe like a zero or a one. So if somebody brings something to you, maybe that bumps you up to like a 10 or a 12, 
but it's not like you're already at a hundred and then somebody brings something <laughs> to you and you're spilling over and you're like, oh my gosh, I've just, all I'm doing is carrying around my trauma all day, every day. And now this person has a problem with me and I can't handle it. So like, you fuck off Sally. Like, it's just <laughs> like, but that's what happens. Cause we don't yeah. realize that we are, we're all walking around. Most of us in a highly sympathetic fight or flight state, 24 freaking seven. Ticking time bombs. Ticking time bombs. So yeah. So when that person comes to you and is like, yo, like I'm struggling or like this was not cool or you pissed me off or like, you know, you said that and like that was not a cool comment. You're you're going to go off the deep end because you're literally on the edge of the diving board all day, every day. And yeah. so that's where before that person comes to you, you're already constantly doing that work. I don't care if you wake up in the morning, you meditate, you go to the gym, you, you sit and you like, you know, drink some cacao in your journal, I, whatever you're doing you need to be making sure that you're in that space to know that people are able to come to you and share that psychological safety, right? Like knowing mm -hmm. that you, their leader, are in a regulated space so that they can come to you. Let's say like, you know, it's already like the end of the day. You've already had like 10 people tell you that things aren't <laughs> going right. You're like, you know, you're in the middle of a launch sequence. Somebody forgot to put up the story slides. Your, you know, your open cart has zero purchases in it. And you're like, man, like this, this whole thing really sucks. And somebody comes to you and they're like, yeah, like, so by the way, like this is all your fault. <laughs> and you were already fighting that demon all day. The inner critic was so loud. Like, see, this is why you shouldn't do this. Um, and then somebody comes and like, you know, gives that a little bit of food and you're right on that edge and you're about to like jump off. That is the time where you need to just take some time. You need to just take some time. It doesn't matter. Like if you're in a room full of people, if you're in the middle of a conversation, I don't care. Leadership is being able to advocate for what is going to be in alignment with your highest good and the highest good of all involved. That is leadership. Mm -hmm. So if we're in the middle of a meeting and you, Maddie, say something to me and I feel like I'm about to pop off at you, I'm going to be <laughs> like, <clears throat> I'm going to mute my microphone and turn my screen off and I'm going to be right back with you all in three to five minutes. Talk amongst yourselves. Like, you know, like whatever. Yeah. That's okay. Go. And that's when you do the thing that you know that you need to do. Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it's doing some breathing exercises. Maybe it's stepping outside and doing 10 jumping jacks. I, everyone needs to be able to know, especially people in leadership, what is the thing that helps you switch your nervous system the quickest? Mm -hmm. You know, I love to like put a good song on and do some good shakeout weird jello dancing, like, you know, like that I would probably <laughs> never let anybody else see because it's very <laughs> bizarre, but highly effective. Um, literally shake it off as Taylor Swift says. And that's the thing that I can do that. I can do that in a minute to two minutes and I can come back and be like, oh, okay, that knocked me down about 10 to 20 points. So now I have more space to receive you. I have more space to be able to hear what you have to say and stay in that neutral state. And so when we... Our, so after we do all of that, after we come back, we've regulated and we can see with a clearer perspective that, oh shit, I am in the wrong. Like, and oh shit, like I need to make things right. Even if I'm not necessarily quote unquote, because it doesn't have to be a binary of right and wrong, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What leadership is about from what I'm hearing from you in this conversation is like, if someone is bringing something to me, if they are expressing some sort of constructive criticism or some sort of feedback their experience is valid and I need to close the gap that's been created, mm -hmm. right? And so how can I as a leader, the first thing I want to touch on is how can I as a leader, if I am 
in this space of, oh, shit, I am wrong, right? That you, you did something wrong. How can I – Oh, man, apo- I fucked up. I fucked up. How can I apologize? Because I think that we are finally in a space where leaders are taking more accountability mm-hmm. and they are apologizing, moving out of an era where a leader is someone who never apologizes, who's never wrong. How can I effectively apologize to the people I've hurt, the people I've wronged along the way? Oh, Maddie, you're hitting all the good questions um, in our time (laughs) together today. This is one of my favorite things to talk about because especially as Americans, we suck at apologizing. We suck at apologizing. How many of us as little kids were like, you know, we would do something and be like, go to your brother and say you're sorry. And you're like, I'm sorry. Right. And they're like, okay, (laughs) like, did you mean that? Do you even know what you're apologizing for? Like, no, you don't. We're not really taught to be able to, again, sit and take self inventory and be able to go you know, to our sibling and be like, so when you took my favorite rock from my rock collection, it made me feel disrespected. And as a result, I blah, blah, blah. Right. Like we're not, we're just doing it to save face and that's not an apology. Mm. Um, and I think it's very tricky for leaders because we've been taught that leaders are, are essentially dictators yeah. and that they don't apologize. And that if we apologize, we're weak or we're taking that one down position, or then that invites people to question us which like if you're in a psychologically safe environment, you will feel safe to question your leaders. So it's like a complete side note. But it's like, you know, you don't want to seem like you're – you know, somehow like in the the wrong, right? We're we're given that binary. And I feel like this is where we really get to step up and lead by example. We really get to role model. We really get to allow people to know that you can take full – ownership and accountability and also still stand in leadership. So for me, uh, actually it's, it's really interesting because as the day that we're recording this, um, the episode of the sacred leadership podcast that's coming out today, um, is with Bianca, who is the, um, leader and founder of the Philly girls who walk movement. And Bianca actually shares in her podcast episode about, you know, that she rescheduled a walk for a Jewish holiday by accident, um, because she didn't know about it. And people came for her. People came for her. They were calling her anti-Semitic. It was like very, very bad. Yeah. That was not the intention at all. And she knew this, but she had this really, you know, spotlight on her where she could have like gone off the deep end and been like, well, you know, you're all wrong or also just been like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I actually really love how Bianca navigated this situation because I think it's a really good template for how we all can navigate these situations it's an invitation to educate, right? So this is where you are allowing that person to completely educate you on what their lived experience is, how they're feeling, um, be able to really help you understand them. So then when you are actually apologizing, it it's going to mean something because you're mm-hmm. able to say, hey, so-and-so, like, so what I'm hearing you say is, and I've seen that, and you know, this was not my intention. However, I accept that the impact was and you're mirroring back to them what you have heard them say, what you have seen them say, and know that it matters to you. That's, that is always going to be step one is validating the experience of the other person. Step two is taking ownership. I recognize that I didn't check the calendar to see if there was any really sacred religious holidays, you know, (laughs) on that date and take into account that X percent of our walking group, you know, is going to be observing that. Like that was, I take full ownership and recognition that that was a step that I didn't take that I could have taken. And then the third piece is what are you going to do differently moving forward, right? 
in the future, I'm going to do a better job checking in with, you know, what is going on in all the different, you know, religious calendars. Obviously there's literally, we have like national days for everything nowadays, but like, you know, those big religious events and things like that for things like that is something that is a reasonable thing that we can make an adjustment that we can change. And, and then the final piece there is allow them to hold you accountable, right? And be like, you know, so because you brought this to my attention and this is, again, you're not putting the ownership on them. You're not making it their responsibility, but you're inviting that feedback. If you notice that this keeps coming up for you or, you know, I, you have changed your pronouns and I keep calling you the wrong pronouns, please do correct me. Yeah. Whatever that is going to be. I, I love how easily like you're able to break down so many of these uh, things into multi-step pieces because that is such a well-rounded apology. When this is an interesting question <laughs> for you, so when we receive a po- an apology that doesn't feel sincere, doesn't feel um, full, like the most important piece of that apology to have repair, in my opinion, is that last piece of accountability. Like what are you going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen again or you're minimizing the risk of this happening again, right? If that part's missing, the apology oftentimes can fall flat. So if I am sitting on the other end of an apology that isn't sincere or is falling flat, can I communicate with that person that I'm needing more. But what do we do in that situation? Because I think all of us have bumped up against that um, tough edge in relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where the person that's in leadership might not be a leader and you might actually have more um, at your disposal to know what is going to equip you with what you need to be able to have that repair to move forward. And so instead of feeling like you need to educate that person, I think that the energy that we can kind of take on is expressing your needs, right? And so Mm -hmm. it could be like if, you know, you mad, you're like, yeah, Amber, like, um, my bad, my bad, like whatever. Be like, (laughs) you know, thanks, Maddie, for letting me know that you recognize that there was something you could have done differently here. However, I am really curious about whether you have heard what my experience was when you made that mistake. You're like, oh, well, I didn't really know it affected you. Yeah, you know, it really did affect me. And when you just kind of say like my bad, it it makes me feel like you're not taking into account the impact of that. And it really makes me feel like you're less likely to actually follow through on making this change because you're not really taking full accountability and you're not recognizing the impact that that, you know, mistake had or when you said that, you know, how that was affecting other people. Um, so I'd really like for you to be able to let me know that you know what's going on for me or the people around us or, you know, whoever it needs to be addressed in that particular situation. And then last question on this specific point, what if we are having, and this is where the inner work comes in, but what if we're having a hard time recognizing what we need and being able to verbalize it? Because that comes up for a lot of people. And again, specifically for women, um, how can we begin to get in touch with, okay, this is how my body's feeling. This is what I'm feeling emotionally. Um, but what does this show that I am needing and how can I communicate that? Mm-hmm. This is this 
question, honestly, it's true for people in these situations. And honestly, it's true for all people because I, and I talk about this a lot in my content. I talk about this a lot in, you know, the, the podcast that I host where we're very trained to like dismiss how we're actually feeling, how we're actually doing. Um, I had a post up recently where, you know, I kind of like riffed off of Jenna Kutcher's book, like, how are you really? Um, Mm -hmm. because that's when I see my therapy and coaching clients, oftentimes I'll be like, so like, how are you? And it's like, they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea how they are because they haven't actually stopped to think about how they are. And so knowing how to check in with ourselves, being able to check in with ourselves, this is not an easy question to answer because it's so pervasive and it's so deep and it's such a problem in our culture and in our society, you know, and again, like I'm speaking from an American perspective here, um, especially that perspective of, you know, how women are conditioned in this society where it's like, oh, you just say you're fine and like move on with your day. Like it's more about how everybody else is. Um, and so we are very quick to dismiss what's coming up for us or what we need. I talk to a lot of people who didn't realize that they've been activated over and over and over and over again by a partner, by a boss, by, you know, Susie from their play group. Like they don't even realize that like they're having a hard time with that person because that person triggers them because that person actually makes them feel less than or unsafe or unheard, or um, they're bringing up something from their childhood, right? There's a lot of these different pieces. And so I think that if you feel like there's something going on, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Again, I'm going to challenge you to turn towards getting support and getting help from a professional. Mm -hmm. This is going to be something where you're going to want to go a little bit further than your bestie who knows you so well, who can like give you really good advice. This is going to be where it is worth investing in a good therapist, um, an ethical coach, you know, a mentor, um, somebody who can really walk you through that self inventory, that inner work, being able to get down to the root of things. And the really cool thing about that work is that once you start doing it, it becomes like your second language. I now know like, I forget. Oh, it was my, my fiance just went away for a couple days and I was fine. Like <laughs> while he was gone, I went to pick him up from the train station and I was a- a- an anxious mess. I was like, what the heck? We were like, we weren't like fighting, but it was just one of those things where he's like, are you like not happy to see me? What's going on? And I'm like, no, I'm happy to see you. Like, and he's like, (laughs) okay, like I'm just gonna. And so he's driving home and I'm just like this ball of nerves and I could not understand like what was going on with me. And so we got home and I took a little bit of space and I really sat with myself and I realized that in my, in my grief, I had kind of created this narrative where like my dad was away on a work trip and obviously he is not away on a work trip. Um, for, you know, those of you who don't know, uh, Maddie and I are grief buddies and I, I lost my dad very suddenly a little over a year ago, but I realized that my brain that whole time that he had been gone had been telling me I was never going to see him again. Wow. And so then when I did see him again, my body felt safe enough to allow me to feel all of the things that I had been suppressing that those last four days. Um, and it was, it was a lot, it was a lot. Um, and, and that was a pretty quick turnaround, right. From me being activated to me figuring out like, oh, wow, like this is what's really going on with me. But that's because I practice and I have been practicing for years and years and years and years. 
And it's not to say that, you know, that's it's going to take you, you know, years and years and years and years, <laughs> but it is like learning another language. It's like learning the language of your body, learning the language of your soul, learning the language of your emotions. Um, because our bodies are so smart. There's so much divine intelligence there. And when things come up for you, it is for a reason. And usually it's for a really good reason. We just have to know how to listen. I think that is the perfect place for us to wrap up the conversation, although we could probably have 10,000 hours of conversation. Um, but I appreciate you providing that insight and just highlighting the importance of having that support person, specifically in that instance, a trained professional, a safe and ethical person to lean into um, in those moments where you can't necessarily point out or trust yourself to know um, what's going on within. So as we wrap up, I want to give you a moment to share where people can get in touch with you, anything you have going on that you want to share with our audience. Of course, we'll put all the links to all the things in the show notes, but I want to open up the floor to you to share more where people can connect. Oh, thanks so much, Maddie. And you know, this was just such a really beautiful uh, conversation. It was so fun for me to be able to actually expel so many of these things out in like that back and forth type of dialogue. Um, so I really appreciate that. I'm actually going to have my team like listen to this and like pull content from it because I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, like that was that was some pretty good some pretty good stuff there. Um, so if you want more of this, um, I do show up a lot on Instagram at letgo.and.lead. Um, I also have a podcast. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. It's the Sacred Leadership Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Google, like all the different platforms, mm -hmm. um, and Right now, I'm also partnered with uh, the Wellness Collective, so I do therapy and coaching uh, through them as well. And then I have very recently, and this is news to Maddie, I've very recently come on board um, to help uh, Danielle Massey coach her uh, signature shadow work programs. Um, so you can also <laughs> find me working my magic over in uh, Create Your Light Academy as well. Amazing. And we'll put all the links to all the things in the show notes. Um, the last thing that I've been having all of our guests do is answer a round of rapid fire questions. So oh boy, this sounds it is fun and scary <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> That's been the reaction from like everyone. <laughs> so it starts off, um, they're all pretty like fun and good to get you in touch with yourself, but starts off a little bit easier, goes into more expansive questions and you could just take a second or two before responding. So we will dive right in. The first question is sunrise or sunset? Um, sun, sun, sunset. I think I like sunrises better, but I'm not a morning person. So I'm going to <laughs> That's, that's true. You are not a morning <laughs> person. <Nobody knows. laughs> Sweet or salty? Ah, uh, sweet, I think. No, Mountains salty. Or I don't know. <laughs> Both. <laughs> like a chocolate covered pretzel. I say, it depends um, on what part of my cycle I'm in, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> that is so valid. Um, mountains or beach? Mountains. Mountains. Yeah, mountains. What is one word you'd use to describe yourself? Um, fiery. <laughs> <laughs> My little Aries. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> what, what would you want your last meal to be? Oh gosh, right now I'm like really into like a good, really good like cheeseburger with like a legit bun that can like hold up to the the cheeseburger with like some nice crispy lettuce. That's probably Ooh. the thing. And like Maddie's like, I'm a vegetarian, but like, <laughs> but, no, but 
like, it's, I've been cooking um, like a lot of meat dishes for Bryce and my fiance. And it, it's funny. I can look at meat now and be like, oh, that like looks good, even though like I don't necessarily want it. So I'm like envisioning your meal. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, if tomorrow were your last day, how would you want to spend it or who would you want to spend it with? Um, so I definitely want to be just like at home, um, with my fiance and my, my three dogs, like for sure. Just like a lot of hanging out in bed, a lot of naps, a lot of cuddles. Like that would just be like the best, the best ever. I don't, I don't have anywhere that I would want to go or anything I would really want to do. I just kind of want to be, be at home with them, with them. No. And then last question is, if you could leave the world with one last piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, so this is this is a great question because I have come to the understanding that my truth is that there are no followers, that we are all leaders. And that is what I would, would want to leave everyone with. Amazing. I am so excited that um, – people get to hear this conversation, but I'm just really grateful that we were able to connect in this way. And I'm grateful for the work that you are doing in the world and the way that you're showing up as a leader in the world. So thank you for being my dear friend, but also thank you for (laughs) being such a wonderful leader for us all. Oh, you're so welcome, Maddie. This is truly a treasure. And I'm really excited that more people get to hear you and your amazing interview (laughs) skills. It's very serendipitous that we both launched a podcast around the same time. It's also no surprise at all. Um, So I'm really (laughs) grateful that I was able to come on and support uh, you being the host as well. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Her Life, Her Way podcast. I am so grateful that you have found your way here and that you carved out some time out of your day and your busy schedule to be a part of this community and tune into these conversations. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you could take just a quick moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Subscribers and reviews really, really help the growth of our podcast long term. So if you are appreciating the conversations that we're having and you believe in the mission of what we're trying to do here with this podcast, it would go a super long way if you could take again just a moment to subscribe to the pod and leave a review or even share with a friend if you enjoyed this episode in particular. Thank you again for being here and we will see you next time.